Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Time for Counterpoint. We've got John Mraz, former Liberal War Room Director, and Bill Hutchison, former journalist, now professor over at Seneca. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Let's talk about uh, the last segment I was talking about, which is the cancellation of a wind farm. This is something that the PCs campaigned on. They'd get rid of the Green Energy Act and they would start canceling any contract that they could. This will and could possibly cost us upwards of $100 million. Many are, ca- are, are comparing this to the gas plants, which has absolutely no comparison to because this was not done for political reasons. And there is a way that the province can insulate itself against uh, this kind of litigation if they bring in legislation. But let me start with you, Bill, on this. Um, this is an area that did not want a wind farm, and it was forced onto them. That's one of the problems with wind farms to start with. $100 million, by the way, is what the company says it could cost. It was a company put forward that number, of course, as a negotiating Well, that's because the last government it's, would pay that out happily. Yes, <laughs> but it's not necessarily going to cost us $100 million, first of all. Second of all, that contract was approved during the election campaign. So there's some argument there whether or not uh, it should have proceeded to start with. Uh, but... $100 million, even if it does cost us that, it's still a good savings in the long term. We've spent $20 billion building wind turbines across this province. In a lot of cases, in communities that don't want it, communities that have complained about the the health uh, side effects from them, mm-hmm. we don't need them. The wind turbines only contribute about 4% to our hydroelectricity. We are over capacity right now. We don't need any more wind turbines, and we shouldn't be building any more. And, and the government, uh, the Ford government, has just done what it said it was going to do. So Applaud them. Yeah. John, your feelings on this? I mean, look, it should not surprise anybody that this was canceled. I don't think it should surprise anybody that this was canceled. I suppose if I had one concern is that there will come a day when we need wind farms, when we run out of... When they run efficiently. (laughs) When they run efficiently. They don't cost a kajillion dollars. Right now we uh, back them up with gas plants. Tragically for this show and our desire to battle, I'm 100% on side with the cancelling of this (laughs) wind farm. So we can just go there. Next topic. topic. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the next topic because yesterday critics were jumping up and down, up and down. I thought you were going to fire the Hydro One CEO. What happened to that promise? Well, late today we learn that in fact the CEO is uh, stepping down, going into retirement, and he will not make that $10 million golden handshake. In fact, he'll be given a retirement package of $400,000. Here is uh, the Premier commenting on uh, the sudden but welcome move. The CEO has zero severance, and we're going to move forward. We're going to move forward with a new board. We're going to move forward with a new CEO, a new chair, and I just can't wait to visit the people of this great province and we reduce their hydro rates by 12%. Now, John, this will not um, move one cent off your hydro bill. So this is one of those symbolic moves that I think will please a lot of people who felt, you know, that it was not pleasant to be uh, screwed over like this and, and having, you know, people making so much money while people are going broke. So symbolically, I think it will play very well. The real issue is fixing hydro, which is a much bigger story. But the bottom line is, he said he would get this done. It's like, Day two of official business, so it's done. At first blush, it looks terrific. It is a a great triumph for him and a promise made and a promise kept. Um, I'd love to see how he pulled this. I'd like to have been in that room. I'd like to know how he pulled off 
Not only, remember, apparently has he has he eliminated that huge payout of $10 million, the threatened $10 million payout, right. and it's down to just a few hundred thousand, which seems fair, actually, commensurate with corporate rates and mm-hmm. buyouts. Apparently, the entire board of Hydro are gone, and the CFO, the current CFO, will take over August 15th, and then mm-hmm. they'll restock that buffet. All right, great, great, great. I'd like to know how that was done. Uh, and I th- I'd like to see if Doug if Doug could show us transparently how he managed to get that done. Then I could give him a list of ten other boards I'd like him to go after <laughs> well, this- in the public sector uh, because I think that there's lots of troughing going on out there. Well, they're, well, welcome to government. But, uh, but, but here, here's his real problem, as yeah. you say. It's easy. Okay, maybe it wasn't easy to do this. I don't think it's easy and to do this, you know, but- uh, like I say, full kudos to him yeah. for getting this done. It looks great, but. Telling people you're going to change hydro rates, which is really energy rates, when that's a global market traded at on global indices, in the face of pressure from oil and gas uh, from around the world, is a very different story. I do not understand, unless the Ontario government is going to subsidize our hydro rates, how you're going to bring hydro rates down uh, to the point where he said he could. And well, they're going to cancel wind farms, which is exactly what they're doing. That's, That's a good contract. start. But That's the, the, a good the start. NDP and did issue a statement saying that they, you know, they want to know what the backroom deal was. And okay, because they're used to dealing with the liberals, right? And backroom but if this deals. is a backroom deal, we we saved nine million six hundred. Oh, Pish yeah. posh. The conservatives have been. <laughs> the conservatives have been notorious for their own backroom deals. Hey, uh, any backroom deal that, issue. as Alex says, saves us nine million six hundred thousand dollars, I'm fine with. I can't I, look. I, I'm sure the gentleman uh, Schmidt, uh, Mayor Schmidt, is probably a perfectly logical, logical, nice guy, and probably just did not want to wear the fact that he was going to take this kind of money. So he probably has stock options. He will be just fine. Um, it was probably not worth his headache. It just no. the optics of of them building this this golden handshake was and very and ugly. as and as for lowering hydro rates, this is as you said a symbolic gesture. This is charting the new course, right. giving new direction to whatever board comes in there. Same thing with canceling the wind farm. It is charting a new course. It is saying to everybody, we are moving ahead on this. And as for it being world uh, traded on world markets, we have the hyd- highest hydro rates in North America. So don't say that it's just world markets. We have created a problem here, and this is the beginning of the fix. So we're trying to repair it, and you got to take a step-by-step, and, and this is the first step. Yeah, getting rid of the $6 million man is not going to reduce my hydro uh, bill one nickel. But one if you nickel. can cancel billions in, in unnecessary green energy by canceling and, contracts, and, assuming that there are not these massive penalties, then you're well on And you got to go through those contracts line by line and see how they're written and see if there is a way of negotiating your way out of that. This is Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. On point, I'm Alex Pearson. Good to have you. We've got John Raz in studio and Bill Hutchison for their Wednesday usual head to head on our Counterpoint. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, an issue I don't think should be nearly as talked about as it is, but apparently this sends people into fits of rage. Um, the Ford government has announced that they will be implementing the old sex ed curriculum for when kids go back to school because they are going to do some consultation, which is now underway to revamp the program. Here is the NDP, uh, Andrea Horvath. 
Things are quite different than they were in the 90s. Uh, young people are um, faced with all kinds of information that comes from electronic sources that weren't even in existence uh, back in the day, uh, and uh, that, that needs to be addressed. We'll wait and see uh, what the government actually does, uh, but certainly going backwards in terms of keeping our kids safe and giving them the information they need to stay safe is, uh, is not the right direction for the, uh, for the kids of this province. Bill, I'm, I'm almost certain that the kids will be safe for a few months while they look into the program and revamp it, consult with parents as they campaigned on. Well, here's an interesting stat. Between 2004 and 2013, the rate of teen pregnancy and teen abortion and teen birth still and live birth actually dropped by more than half, and that was under the old curriculum. So guess what? I guess the, the lessons of safe sex under 1998's uh, curriculum really weren't that bad. Or watching Degrassi Junior High, which we all did as kids. I mean, look, I think I think government seems to forget, uh, John, that there are parents. And I know a lot of people um, don't have faith that parents can actually do their job. I happen to be one who does believe that parents are actually pretty good at raising their own kids. I couldn't disagree more with both of you. <laughs> of I really couldn't. Uh, there was a terrific Masters in Johnson study that came out of California. Over 2,000 children uh, between the ages of 10 and 15 were interviewed uh, about their sexuality, etc. 10% of them are 10% of them, from all economic indicators, declared themselves as gender fluid. The world is rapidly changing. The internet has changed my 10-year-old son. I am constantly vigilant because I am a I am a, a, a parent, parent that cares, and I'm I'm on board. But many parents do not have. The time, the ability, the education, English as a first language, to monitor their children who are growing up here, and the school system is going to be part and an essential part of their sexual education and of their sexual growth. And, and nobody, and but nobody it's is coming saying back. The I mean, it's not going away. The program that we were using had not been developed by politicians. There was no political agenda there. It had been developed by some of the world's experts, leading experts, and it was very much in keeping with what they are teaching in Europe. Certainly not in the United States, well, well, who are fairly retrograde. Right, on this there was stuff. no politics involved at all. We're going Come backwards. On. There were of very there few was, politics John, involved. Of course, there were. The, one, so, of the, one of the guys y- you can't ignore the fact that Ben Levin, who did go to jail for pedophilia, it, it did have a huge hand in implementing. It, and that's where the distrust you can completely ignore it. There were hundreds of people involved in that. He is an aberration of sick human being, and I hope he spends the rest of his life in jail. Well, I'm not concept, endorsing the, that. Teaching that an, an, an eight year old, you can you don't have to be a boy after all. You, you can decide what you want to be. You tell that to an eight year old, that's a concept they can't wrap their heads around. An eight year old's going to go home and mommy. My teacher says I don't have to be a boy anymore. So I'm going to be a zebra. 250 years it's, ago when homophobia emerged in, in the wake of... No, my, no, let, let, me finish, let me finish my point. That, that kids at eight don't understand that concept. You can still teach them tolerance for, for differences in people. Absolutely. Absolutely. That does not have to be spelled out as, you know what, the concept of boy and girl... Don't exist anymore. An eight-year-old is not going to comprehend well, how that. How did the world survive then during the Roman Empire and under Alexander the Great? As I recall, known the Roman Empire stuff. fell, didn't it? And Alexander yeah. the Great took over the world as a known bisexual, and nobody made a big deal out of it. Shakespeare very no much. No one is suggesting they that it's not right going sex to be curriculum. a sex ed curriculum. It's not no, going away for people... good. John, hold on. This is going to be a short-term fix. I don't have an issue with a sex ed curriculum. I would just like to be implemented later. I don't need my five-year-old talking about this right now. If I told him he was a poop sandwich, he would believe me. I don't need them talking about this kind of stuff. I, I, I'm actually more concerned about math scores, which we're not getting.
I, look, I'm, it's I'm, the I'm timing all for the math scores, and, and I don't think politics. that's that's the same conversation. I think that the curriculum is excellent. My son has been going through it. It has done him no harm. His sexual because identity. Because you were there and, and also adding your influence, and a lot of parents need to be involved, and, and parents want to be involved in that and not have the schools dictate to their kids what, what they should understand and what they should, what they should believe. The parents feel it's their role. The other, I the smell other issue homophobia is, here. I smell no, bigotry no, here. No, no, no. I no, smell that, is a, that is a typical cop-out. If you disagree with this sex ed curriculum, you have to be a Neanderthal, Which you have to be true. homophobic. That is not true. There is nowhere that people are saying there should be no tolerance. People, people who are objecting to the sex ed curriculum are tolerant, they, they understand differences, and they want to teach their kids about the differences. They don't necessarily want to teach their 8-year-old that they don't have to be a boy I'm, or girl I'm anymore. Sure, there are aspects of it. It's important. the timing. You can still teach tolerance and understanding and compassion for, for differences in people. And that doesn't make me... I'm not homophobic because I disagree with the timing of, of some of the things, the, the concepts they introduce. But the other issue, and I've talked to a number of experts, is is the subtlety um, of what is being taught. Some of it is 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 really subliminal, where it's like... You know, little Jimmy doesn't know if he's a boy or a girl. I mean, I think parents just want to know, what are you telling my child? They just want to know. And I understand that. One of the things that shocked me that I found out with a 10-year-old is that in my day, as uh, most boys came into puberty around 12 or 13, girls around the same time. Today, for a variety of reasons, including what's in the water and the food, I I wish I was making this up, well-documented. In the United States, it's even worse. But here in Canada, young women are hitting puberty at 9 or 10, sore little boys, 9 or 10. They become sexual beings because we have changed their biology. But we've also handed them technology too freely. Which means we have to address that with accelerated programs that might make some of us a little squeamish or uncomfortable. And I include myself in that. If Doug Ford is legitimately going to go and consult with the people, but not just the people, because I don't trust the people. I trust scientists, you know, people who spent their whole lives, you know, like Masters and Johnson and Harvard, who endorsed this program, who seem to me they might know a little more about sexuality and teaching sexuality than somebody who grew up in Pickle Lake mining copper. There's nothing wrong with the latter, but don't make yourself a sexual expert. And I don't know why you'd get a say but in my kids' curriculum. And they can have a concern about what they're teaching, what they're without being, being vilified. Their teachers are teaching their, their kids. Well, I mean, there are people who are concerned without that. I'm being called homophobic. I think I should, you know, I'm an apostate and should die for that. It doesn't mean I'm going to pay any attention. Look, I think what upsets the left the most is you've got a politician who said he was going to do something and actually went ahead and did it. Right. And, and, no, no, no. And, and I point to our first segment. Which Kathleen I Wynne, by the way, in 2011 him. did not do. I applauded him for the two things that he did In 2011, Kathleen segment. Wynne did not say she was going to rewrite the sex ed curriculum, and but she went ahead McGinty and did it. canceled it because it was so much uproar. Parents are not telling, you know, some yes. But it doesn't need to disappear. I don't just remember have to be a little bit be, older. Yeah, a little I think older. the parents need to be consulted a little bit yeah. more. Okay, I want to well, change topics because we're. Ta- I, I, I do want to talk about this. Uh, you know, this war of words that has uh, erupted over the issue of uh, migrants flowing in. And um, the bottom line is, if you go to a illegal border cross, a point that is not an actual border crossing, you are coming into this country illegally. And now we've got a war of words of what we're supposed to call these people. Um, and frankly, it's just a big distraction. Well, I think it's a construct of the government. Let's call them irregular, and then we can we can sell this as a different concept. They are illegal border crossers, and there's nothing to say that Canada can't turn them back because they're not being turned back into a, a country where their lives are at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada is a very welcoming country to immigrants. We, we want immigrants to come to this country. That's what built this country. But bring in, come in through the legal means. Yeah, coming you, through the, we don't have a system now because they're just walking across the border uh, under a sign that in several languages says, by the way, this is illegal right, crossing and, here. And if I actually went to that point or you or any of us in the room did the same thing, it would be 
illegal. Well, that's how I go get my cigarettes now. So. Pretty much. Well, probably. And all those handguns. So, you know, bottom line is it's a... At least you won't have to buy your marijuana that way anymore. <laughs> it's a nifty little distraction, but that to me is all it is. John? Oh, I, can't, I couldn't remember. Oh, that's right. Uh, look... Uh, I, I actually agree. Here, here's rhetoric that the last time I think of this rhetoric is when Bush all of a sudden started calling some people that we were fighting in foreign countries illegal combatants, which led to that horrible prison in Cuba, right? Uh, this is sort of flip it on the other side. I don't think that the Trudeau government have any business changing the language. I don't like rhetoric and Orwellian change. What is our policy? And we, have a big, we don't have any. And we have a big problem. We have this huge border, some of which is owned by, uh, you know, First Nations uh, territories that refuse to let us police them, which means it's a porous border, which means we're really relying on the United States on the other side to stop people coming into our country. These people are running from the states away from, principally, if, if you read the research, yeah, we from don't need to read the threat the of a Trump the government. Point, the point is we that should not be sending them, lives, them back. Yeah, right. Their lives are not at risk. That's right. But they claim that their lives are at risk. And we should be sending them back to the United States. Sending them back to the United States does not put their lives at risk. And so I am for, uh, you know, a one for all and all for one immigration policy. Let's not change the language. If you come here and jump the line, there are tens of thousands of worthy people who are dying to get in here. I want them to be here. They're going to be great immigrants. I don't know who you are. You're crossing the border illegally. But we have this logistical problem. How do you seal this border? No, we don't. We have a prime minister problem who will not stop it because it's politically... Uh, you know, scores points for him. This has nothing to do with with what do we do. It I'm not sure. Really it worked, by the way, border, wonderfully up until he tweeted out. Roxton Road. I just yeah. think you know that's where most of them are coming through. So why don't you at least, at least close that? I disagree with you. I think it's even worse than what you assume. I don't think that that Justin has the guts to say. We can't police our own border. I don't know right. how to get but the, the job done. The reason we done. need to is because of him. That's it. It was we didn't have this issue yeah. until that tweet he went out. Thumb sure his nose at Trump. Well, why? Well, then where will, are they ghosts? Like where have we not been reporting? I, I think on this? people used to be more frightened of Harper than they were of Obama. It's just flipped oh, over now. Okay, no. right, here we go. All right, guys, got to leave it there. <laughs> John Raz and Bill Hutchison joining us tonight. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.